weekend. It's a tale of two cities and four sides, as Mancunians and Scousers collide with the pride of the North West on the line. With two different results in the Champions League, a loss for each would really dampen the week. United can't afford to go to Merseyside and leave to barrels of laughter. But of course there's Phil Jones who's odds on for a comedy BAFTA. With Mo Salah finding his Midas touch, will it be enough to get past Jose's bus? Will we see bottles being thrown or will there be hooks? Did this United side have enough to get any points? An upset pet tasted defeat last week at Stamford Bridge. He'll be looking to make amends when the toffees visit. An easy win against the Hoffenheim means he'll be able to pick a stronger side. But Everton of decent form at Sitter, with more draws and a furniture store. Let's just hope Seamus Coleman remembers which way to score. One weekend, two cities, three points, four sides. Which team's going to end it on a high? Welcome back to another episode of The Twelfth Man. Sorry if have missed us for the last couple of weeks. We've had some logistical issues. Uh, we've got some fantastic weekend of football ahead of us. Uh, there's a Manchester versus Liverpool theme, obviously, this weekend with United going over to Anfield and doing the journey the other side of the M62. The Toffees take on Man City at the Etihad. Uh, as ever, I'm joined by Tom Lee. Tom, back from London. Good trip? Yeah, good trip. Uh, we were at the Emirates last night. Uh, fans bet, as you know, uh, the... Uh, only bookmaker in the universe who pledged to give back 50% of the net profits they get from members of fan groups who bet with them. So, for example, last night we worked with the Guna fanzine at Arsenal Football Club. Uh, the Guna, any Guna readers who choose to uh, join up with fans, but they nominate their team as Arsenal, obviously. They nominate their uh, their chosen cause as the Guna, and that money comes back to the Guna to spend on enhancing the experience of their members. Keep it, in this instance, keeping the fanzine going, because it was going to close down but for the intervention of fans bet. So we were down there uh, with Kevin, the editor, actually getting his side of the story. And that's something you'll see on fans bet's blog site in the coming weeks. So uh, that'll be edited by the, uh, the guys with the editing skills in the next few days. Uh, we also went to some really good stuff, actually, Scotty, because uh, we went down to Windsor to meet a guy who runs the heart of the Holt, Aston Villa's really, really top uh, media following there, who um, those guys running an independent thing which they get great collaboration with the club at Villa so hats off to them for giving the guys access uh, Ryan there who gave us a good piece and also a couple of nights ago we were with our very own Paul Robinson who was a guest at the Fighting Cock Live the Fighting Cock being a group of uh, rather rowdy but really good lads and uh, guys and girls I should say who followed Tottenham Hotspur home and away and they showed a live screening for those who couldn't get out to Barcelona. You can imagine how that ended uh, with Robbo being lauded for his contribution to the uh, <laughs> to the Spurs calls down the years. So some great stuff coming your way visually as well as audio. Uh, but for you and me, plenty to chew on. Yeah, definitely. Let's go over straight away to the Etihad for the 12.30 kickoff Man City versus Everton. Everton have been... Um, They've had pretty decent form, I think, when they've gone to Man City. Or the last, uh, I think they've had one loss in the last five trips to, in, to the Etihad. In August 17, they should have won there. That actually, in a funny sort of way, they, ha- they were in the ascendancy. They were winning 1-0. They took their foot off the, just, just off the gas slightly. I think they wanted to lock in the, uh, the three points and put 10 men behind the ball. Uh, Ronald Koeman, at that point in time, I think he thought he was onto a good thing. Didn't turn out that way. How sport can drop you on your backside when you <laughs> yeah. most think that it's going for you uh, but they're going well you see the way in which in the silver era uh, they're riding high in seventh six victories this season only the four defeats positive goal difference good side solid compact but they're not just a unit who like to control and, and almost slow the game down they can play 
There's absolutely no question. And they've got the speed to hurt teams on the break. You saw they were seriously unlucky not to get their points in the Mersey derby uh, the week before last. So they're capable. City, for their part, probably smarting a little bit that somehow they've contrived to not be top of the league at this stage. Um, they'll probably win. And yet, there's a little bit of me that says, hang on a minute, it's a three-horse race, home draw away. City, one to five. The draw, 11 to two. So that's five and a half to one. Everton, just a shade bigger than 10 to one in a three-horse race. Just for the reasons of absolute value. There used to be a saying when I was growing up, working in betting shops and talking to older gamblers, and they'd say, back the outsider in a three-horse race if it's five to one or bigger. Everton, a 10 to one, for goodness sake. Wow. So for that reason, City will probably win but they're prohibitively priced at 1-5, to five. correctly so, given what they've achieved. However, the Toffees have a sting in the tail. I'm going to have a very tentative 50 pence or a pound on Everton <laughs> to cause absolute uproar, early Christmas present for the Toffees, away win. What do you say? Yeah, um, I've gone for the 5.5-1, to one, did you say, for the draw? Uh, yeah, I think they've got form there. I think City will be smarting after the defeat at Stamford Bridge. Um, and obviously they had the European game, but I think they've rested a few plays from there. I, I, I think uh, Everton draw five and a half to one is a good, uh, is a good, a good bet. Well, the games are coming thick and fast now for City. They're, obviously that reverse, it wasn't the biggest surprise in the world, but Chelsea had too much for them on that occasion. And maybe this is just a little space where the weather gets colder, other teams start to weigh them up a little bit. And maybe for all that, I imagine they still will win the league by perhaps 5, 10, 15 points. I don't think Liverpool will keep up the gallop. Um, I think City will win it and by a comfortable margin. Maybe this is just a little space in the calendar where just as every team is entitled to do, they might just have a little downturn now and a small blip. As, as we're talking about the Manchester-Liverpool fix, let's jump forward to, sun, to Sunday and we'll come back to the other fixtures. Obviously, Liverpool versus Man United will have a massive impact on if City can go back to the top of the league. As United fans, it's our biggest game of the season, our biggest rivals. Is this the worst time we could potentially be playing them? As United fans, this is the best time we could possibly be playing them. Um, and this is the only derby, the Sell only it to me, rivalry. Tom. Um, listen, quite honestly, United, when a wounded animal, and when everyone writes them off, when are they they're the most dangerous? And which game matters more than any other? Yes, that probably is a bit of a compliment to the Scousers, but really, they're the club with the, whole, the, the, the history, the culture, the heritage, the tradition, the one that... If you base the entire uh, space around, the entire season around, the one result that really ma matters, which, which game do you look forward to first when, when the fixtures come out? Liverpool away, when is it? Yeah. Is, is it August? Is it December? Is it April? Can I get a ticket? Will I be there? Please, please, please let there be a ticket, irrespective of the results. So Liverpool, brilliant work from Klopp. It's very obvious what they've done by combining those great, great, speedy attacking players, all those goals with decent creativity in midfield. They've absorbed the loss of Coutinho, who I thought that would be a, something they'd never recover from. They've bought a good keeper, and suddenly the centre-backs look absolute quality. So, listen, thumbs up to them. No problem with them whatsoever. They're, they're, they're top on merit. Um, I don't think they're going to have quite enough. Uh, but in this instance, everybody's suddenly rushing to write off Manchester United, and that's absolutely the moment when they're at their most dangerous. Liverpool uh, are just shy of one to two. So they're somewhere around the 8-15 to 15 mark. Uh, the draw 3-1, to one, that's oh so tempting when you know Mourinho's mindset right now. And United, bigger than 5-1, to one, well, I think, I think somebody's just been boring on about the old, the old days of 5-1 uh, to one or bigger in a three-horse race. You've got to back the outsider. <laughs> there it is. It's looking you in the eye. 5-1. to one. 
I'd, I'd love to have the optimism. I just can't see where United get any point. A, a draw might be doable. Obviously, played there last year. We're parking the bus, the nil-nil. I just can't see we've got the personnel in our team to try and get any, any more than one point. But you say that. But you say that. Look at the pace and the creativity and the width he's going to start with up front. Lingard will start. Rashford will start. That will cause Liverpool all sorts of problems. Um, it's the centre of the pitch that'll that'll be an issue. And obviously, the calamitous centre-backs. Uh, but doesn't matter even even if you put a crash test dummy at centre back and a wheelie bin in the other centre back position even if you can you can play passes round those for the entire 90 minutes you've still get got to get try and get past somehow David De Gea so that's a formidable opponent for that reason there's always hope so go on and let's have a prediction then Tom United away win and are you going to give us a score or are you just going to back them for the win well, given that they're, they're, they're just a smidgen bigger than 5-1, to one, I feel no need to give you a score. However, <laughs> since you insist, and since it's Christmas, 1-0, um, Fellaini, elbow, offside. In the last minute. Oh, what, that'd be a great early Christmas present. If you're listening, John O'Shea, thank you for that all those years ago, by the way. <laughs> I'm going to go for a, another draw there. So I think that was 3-1. to one. Was that's, that's really good odds, that 3-1. Yes, one. it is. And, and to be fair, Liverpool fans listening to this who are pulling a face saying, you, you two give your heads a wobble. 5-9 um, <laughs> to nine is the price. So just bigger than 1-2. to two. And hats off. They deserve to be top of the league. Um, for the record, as I've said, I think City will win it and probably by 5, 6, 10 points. Um, as the as the season wears on, they definitely have the the better of the two squads. They definitely have everything stacked in their favour, and I think actually on on a relentless season where the games will come from all angles, I just think City have all bases covered. Yeah, definitely got a bigger and better squad than Liverpool for that. Uh, let's look at uh, back on Saturday. Tottenham Hotspur against your team Burnley. Uh, obviously, <laughs> Burnley got a really big win the other week. Uh, Spurs obviously. What did, what did I tell you? What did I tell you? Trust in the magic of Deitch. Burnley, who looked as if they were all dressed up with nowhere to go except the championship, suddenly uh, they're looking down on the bottom three as if they were never sweating. Comfortable win against Brighton. Uh, they put the fear of God into Liverpool by going 1-0 up. Uh, prior to that, they battered Leicester in that 0-0 draw. Not really true, I'm making that up. <laughs> uh, and we'll forget some of those other previous results. But they've turned the corner now. So, listen, this is almost impossible, but... Spurs absolutely giddy with delight having sneaked through in Europe in those most wonderful circumstances. Um, but the Wembley factor doesn't quite work for them, does it? It's always a bit of an Achilles heel. Spurs absolutely entitled to, to breathe out after their heroics midweek. Are they able to perhaps take their, their eye off the ball just long enough for Burnley to leave London with something? I think so. So... I like the counterintuitive method of weighing these games up. Give you the prices with fans bet. Tottenham one to six, six to one to draw, fourteen to one Burnley. Now, six to one to draw, that just jumps off the page. Imagine if Burnley can just turn up, really slow the game down, frustrate the crowd. There'll be a few empty spaces. There always are at Wembley. Spurs, well, look, they've got their Christmas present. It wouldn't be a tragedy to draw this game. Nil nil. So now we're going to be speaking to Flav from the fighting cut to get his opinion on what's going to happen against Burnley and hopefully he's recovered from the hangover from Barcelona. Anything to add, Tom? Well, I have to say that Flav was some man on Tuesday night. We were with him at the fighting cut live in London, fans bet event uh, at EV in Waterloo. 
and uh, he and one of his pals interviewed Robbo in front of a baying mob of about 250 crazy Spurs fans who then, if that wasn't good enough for them and they were really, really pleased to see Paul, uh, they then got to, to uh, stand there in high tension and watch their team get through against Barcelona in the new Camp. So um, I think if you're a Spurs fan, rarely has it been this good in recent years. Let's listen to Flav. Hello, boys. Um, what a week it's been after losing to Arsenal where most Spurs fans probably were at the lowest they've been in many, many, many years. We've gone on to win two in the Premier League and most importantly, get a draw in Barcelona, which while definitely isn't a win, felt like we won that game. Bizarre feeling because we scored a goal in the 85th minute, Lucas Moura, that more or less put us through because PSV were doing us a massive favour in Milan. So... Yeah, I mean, nothing but great feelings around Spurs at the moment to go to Barcelona to, and most importantly, to play the way we did. It, it was just, it, it was that was almost more impressive than result. We pushed back Barcelona in a way that I don't think a, a team has ever done in, in recent years. And it was a very bold, big, big balls performance from the Spurs players and the tactics laid out by Pochettino. It was a fantastic, fantastic thing. I want to say a quick thank you to fans bet and uh, Paul Robinson, who came down to the Fighting Cock live show, where we also screened the Barcelona game. It was absolutely lovely talking to Robbo. What great value, what amazing stories he had. So many funny stories he had, and uh, we just loved, loved having him there. So thank you very much. Going into the game against Burnley, it, it could go two ways. It's, it's, it's one of them ones where it's Burnley, it's at home. You'd think that you know that's a win for Tottenham. And it's, it was, there's certainly much tougher tests in the Premier League for a club like Spurs. But also... We've shown history this season of being complacent after a big win or a big result. Against Man United earlier in the season, we won 3-0 away from home. The next game against Watford, we lost 2-1. And I think that was complacency. Pochettino talked about how the players didn't have the right mindset. that They went into the changing room at Old Trafford after the game with the, the mentality that they'd already won the Premier League and Poch didn't like what he saw. And he almost predicted the performance against Watford that saw us lose 2-1. So we want to be guarded against that kind of complacency again. I don't think Pochettino would allow that mistake to happen. It would be an easy thing to remind them of what happened at Watford. So we should go into that game against Burnley looking to take the three points and continue to give us our best start to the Premier League. Burnley in a horrendous form this season. They won their last game against Brighton, kind of very tight 1-0 win at home. But by and large, their form over the last couple of months has been horrendous. And hopefully Spurs can take advantage of that. We should be able to. We should have enough in our locker. We do have some injuries though. Aurier, Trippier are both not going to play. Wanyama's out for a long time. Sanchez and Dembele are also out. Foyf should be available. But I'm really hoping that we stick with Jan Vertonghen and Toby Alderweireld. We look so much stronger at the back with them too. Everyone knows how good a centre-back pairing they are. And it would be great to see them play again two games in a row. One interesting thing, because Aurier and Trippier are out, is that Carl Walker-Peters will make his second start in a row. He had a good game against Barcelona, but he made that huge mistake which let in Dembele and, and, and unfortunately they went 1-0 up. But Carl Walker-Peters is a good player with a big future ahead of him. But Carl Walker-Peters is a very, very good player with a big future ahead of him. Um, he'll have no issues uh, performing against Burnley uh, in these other games in the Premier League against Newcastle and Leicester, his other two appearances. He got man of the match in both of those. So, you know, he's a good player and can't wait for to, to, to see what he can do against Burnley in the Premier League. I think there's going to be goals in the game. I think they're all going to come from Tottenham. I'm going to go for a big win, 4-0 Spurs. Have a butchers on fans bet to see what odds you can get. Spurs, the mood around the club, we are flying at the moment and I can't see anything other than a big win for Tottenham. Come you Spurs.
Thanks a lot for that, Flav. Right, now we're going to go over to another exciting game, London Derby, Fulham versus West Ham. Fulham really need to start turning the corner now and getting some results under the new regime, under Ranieri. West Ham hitting hot of the Chikorito seems to be bagging a couple of goals. Yeah, tricky this. I mean, West Ham, they score, but they concede. You see the last, the last three games, uh, they've managed to find nine goals. Uh, and that was off the back of that hiding at home to Manchester City. So uh, when they're playing teams in and around them, they're doing precisely what they need to do and what they're paid to do. So you see the way they went. They were ruthless <laughs> away at Newcastle. Why are you laughing? No, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. <laughs> I, uh, I, thought you were, I thought you were mocking me no, again. No, 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 me. Uh, three, yeah, yeah, you see the way in which they went up to St. James's 1-3-0, comfortable. You see the way in which they hammered Cardiff on the Tuesday night, 3-1. Then they beat Palace. Uh, and now it's the opportunity to make a very short hop across town and do the same because there hasn't been the uplift for Ranieri, who you know I'm a very big supporter of, but 20th against 11th, with West Ham firing in the goals left, right and centre, 9 in 3. Fulham looked very tame at Old Trafford last week. I mean, you know very well that United have been struggling to really find much rhythm, and yet they looked an OK team against Fulham. Yes, they scraped a point against Leicester, but they had no answers against Chelsea. And that one solitary little bright light of the win against Southampton, play like that again, probably not enough. Yeah, no, and, and that win against Southampton obviously came of the absence of Mark Hughes. Uh, I can't see anything other but a West Ham win. Sure thing, just to fill you in on the prices. Fulham 9-5 to five is the price, so just shy of 2-1, to one, which, I don't know, maybe that'll be made to look big. However, at 12-5 to five the draw, so nearly 2.5-1. to one. West Ham are favourites for the away win. Short, short hop across town, they'll take plenty of fans. 7-5 to five is the price. 7-5, to five. and that's the half-five kickoff on Saturday. Yes, indeed. Uh, let's look at Watford versus Cardiff City. Um, I know you're a big fan of Cardiff. Uh, what do you reckon? Well, well, I'm not so much a big fan of Cardiff, I'm a big fan of Warnock. But um, this again, you see the way in which actually this would have been billed maybe at the start of the season. People would have been saying, Watford, Cardiff, is that going to be two teams in the bottom three? Not so. Uh, Watford 12th, Cardiff 14th. And all of a sudden, for all that Cardiff had that spell where they just seemed to be conceding and conceding. And yes, they've lost 10 of their 16. But suddenly this little upsurge in results has got them going again because they looked as if it was just really running out of time. And yet the win against Wolves, the win against Southampton, uh, the win against Brighton, prizing out those results. And for their part, Watford were looking unbelievably bright. And perhaps it's sort of gone a little bit the other way for them because losing at Leicester, getting humped at home to Liverpool, the way in which City turned up and managed to burgle the three points... They were unlucky not to get the three away at Everton with that very, very late equaliser and what have you. So it's as if at the moment it's just not quite going for Watford. Cardiff, on the other hand, suddenly it's as if Lady Luck is in their camp. So I wonder if actually that balances out. And I wonder if just shy of three to one, the draw is the way to play this one because uh, Watford odds on roughly four to six. Uh, The draw just shy of three to one, 14 to five is the price. And the Bluebirds away from home on their travels... Uh, well, they'll need a phrase book to come out of Cardiff to go all the way to Watford. <laughs> Nine to two, the price. So 
that'll have some takers as well. Ninety two, sure, just under five to one. Sure, 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 sure. Who mentioned that? I wonder. Yeah. Anyway, draw, <laughs> draw for me, Scotty. Fourteen to five, just yeah. shy of three to one. I fancy a draw there as well. Um, what could potentially turn into a relegation battle moving into twenty nineteen? Huddersfield versus Newcastle. Newcastle United had a string of results going together, but they've sort of fell off the pace a bit. Huddersfield had a decent win a couple of weeks back. What do you reckon to this one, Tom? Yeah, oh, I totally agree with you with regard to this being a potential relegation game. Huddersfield 18th with only 10 points thus far. Uh, Newcastle, well, not a lot better. Up in 15th, but maybe there's a bit of false security, security allied to that because in 15th, but only with 13 points. So what's that for a Christmas total? Mm. Ouch. Um, really struggling to know what to make of Huddersfield this season. I thought they'd be a lot brighter than they are. And yet, with the exception of that win at Wolves, I know they got a point in early November at home to West Ham and they beat Fulham the other day, but three defeats on the bounce. Ouch. And the thing with Newcastle, which side of the bed do they ever get out of? <laughs> you just don't know what's coming. You see that stormy game, they had a man sent off, lost at home to Wolves, uh, they drew at Everton, they got absolutely taken apart by West Ham on their own pitch, but they did win at Burnley, at which any, anyone capable of beating Sean Dyche is is very <laughs> capable operator, clearly. Um, this, I think, is just... Totally, whoever gets out of bed on the right side. For that reason, once again, go stalemate, I think, because Huddersfield, 6-4. to four. Uh, The draw is 39-20, to 20, so that is literally as close as you can get to 2-1 to one without quite quite being 2-1. to one. And the Geordies, 2-1 to one away from home. It's a bit skinny for me for a team who, one week brilliant, the next week mercurial, the next week absolutely abysmal. Who knows? Draw, two to one. It looks like it could be a good weekend to put a treble of draws on, really, when you're looking at the fixtures. Well, I agree, because actually the draw is a curiously undervalued market where a lot of punters just put a line through it and think, well, I'm going to go for a strong opinion one way or another. Whereas a lot of these games, particularly this time of year, teams want to consolidate. So the draw and the point suits a lot of people. And of course, you get a nice price with it. And let's look at another game on Saturday. We have Crystal Palace versus Leicester. Anything in that? Again, it's another one that could be a stalemate. I can't, I can't see either one of them. I think they'll cancel each other out. 16th against 9th, and yet who has the superior quality? I wonder because um, Leicester, for, for, for their part, have had this quite busy spell where they won at Cardiff. Very, very stodgy nil-nil against Burnley. Uh, they drew at Brighton. Then they had that lengthy, lengthy League Cup game against Southampton that went to penalties. They beat Watford, they drew the other day, and then they got then they got a job done on them by Spurs. So they've been okay, but sort of trundling along a little bit. Whereas Palace, actually, it's interesting because you see the way in which actually they have been involved in some quite high-scoring games recently. The 3-2 defeat, the 3-1 defeat, uh, they got a couple against Burnley, etc., Again, difficult to know what to do with this, Scotty. I think I'm going to have to sit it out and look at, and look at this as a game where probably the value is locked in the draw again. Palace eight to five, 41 to 20, so just a, a smidgen bigger than two to one is is the draw, and Leicester just shorter than two to one. So the market doesn't know. That's indicative of two forms, two teams who are struggling for form. So I'll, t- I'll take the draw once again. All eyes on the draws for this weekend. Let's look at Sunday, uh, Arsenal versus Southampton at St Mary's. Arsenal again on this impressive run. Can you see Southampton getting anything here, being able to stop that? Well, here's the interesting thing, because goodbye, Mark Hughes. Uh, welcome to Herr Hassenhuttl, who comes over from Germany with a 
maybe you could argue are, are not dissimilar to when he arrived in England profile as Maurizio Pochettino, who, who came from European football as somebody who'd done a, a bit of something, but people didn't know that much about him. But you see the euphoric rise that he pre presided over with RB Leipzig, a team that's not to everyone's taste because of their commercial foundations. But he worked miracles with what he had there in terms of squad availability and depth and, and transfer budget initially until he was able to bring his own, uh, really put his own stamp on it. So when you look at that, at the moment, the, the figures make dismal reading. At the Saints, 16 played, one victory, six draws, nine defeats, minus 17 goal difference. It's a bit of a mess, really. However, the beauty of this season is that make your managerial change now reap the benefits later potentially because you look at the bottom of the table Fulham 9 points Southampton 9 points Huddersfield 10 Burnley 12 they'll be fine trust me <laughs> uh, Crystal Palace 12 Newcastle 13 Cardiff 14 then a jump to Brighton so we're talking about 7 teams of any of which you can take 3 and say are legitimate contenders for the trap door so that doesn't make great reading if you're a Cardiff fan if you're a Geordies fan if you're a Crystal Palace fan but when we look at this Southampton with nine points. Is the gap so big that they can't escape? Not for one second. He just needs to energise this group of players, give them belief, give them momentum, give them motivation, put a smile on their faces and take the pressure off their shoulders. And for their part, Arsenal, yes, they had the... And I know they made massive changes and I know they're going well and they're giddy after beating Spurs 4-2 at home, etc. But equally, they had the hassle, if you like, of the Carabag game midweek on Thursday night. Um, they only squeezed past Huddersfield. Obviously, they were entertaining in the two-all draw at Old Trafford against Manchester United. We already talked about their derby win, etc. But go back to a more similar game to this, end of November. They went to Bournemouth. They had to battle like crazy to draw 2-1, uh, to, uh, to win 2 and They didn't draw, they, they won, but just as memory serves me right. So when you look at that, I don't think Southampton are completely out of this. They're 11-4 the home win. 27 to 10, which is again basically 11 to 4 the draw. Arsenal 10 to 11, which I know a lot of punters will come onto Fans Bet website this weekend and say Arsenal banker. I'm not so sure. You often get this this upsurge in terms of a new manager coming in and just lifting the pressure. It's a bit like sort of squeezing a spot that really needs to be released. <laughs> yeah, but that spot has been their their really really dingy form under Hughes, where some games they were probably unlucky, others they just weren't good enough. But Hassan Huttel is a good manager. I think he will make an impact. Maybe this is a good place to start. Arsenal better under Emery, no question. It looks a much happier group of players. But Christmas results, Arsenal midweek football, draw, 11-4. Yeah, I think there may be uh, some value in the draw there. I don't think uh, the new manager had enough time at Southampton to start working miracles yet, as much as Mark Hughes was a, a, this, a, a but terrible this, manager. If they could get it, this would be a crucial point. This oh yeah, be a fantastic. They could use this as a catalyst to go on. For and I know if, you, if you're listening and you're probably saying, "Well, draw, 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 give us something new," but th this is with careful consideration. This is a weekend where, particularly at this space on the calendar, approaching halfway through the season, uh, and with a massive catalogue of games coming up, I wouldn't be at all surprised if there are several stalemates. This I was going to say, uh, keep an eye on pick up, pick, pick three out of them, and you're on to a, you know could be a decent packet this weekend. For sure. Um, obviously, not, not even three necessarily, just a couple. It's a really good payday if you can combine a couple of draws at these kind of prices, two to one and up. I mean, some of them you're looking at, as we've talked about. Well, look at the it was 3-1, wasn't it? 3-1. Well, well, look at Tottenham Burnley. Were that to be a draw, six to one. 
All you need is for Burnley to nick a point there and you've got a six to one winner. Think about that. Great value. Uh, obviously, we're talking about managerial changes with Southampton and also Fulham. Do you see where the next one's going to come to? Obviously, this is where uh, chairman and board <laughs> start thinking about who needs to be who, who needs to go uh, to save the club from going down. Is there anyone that sort of any alarm bells ringing? Um, it's difficult to call, isn't it? I mean, because it, it, it is so close. Anything up to fifteenth, I think, at the moment can be dragged into it. Well, I agree with that because when you work through these, I just I wonder about Wagner at Huddersfield as well because almost you look at the way in which he's always been flavour of the month he's always been somebody who's looked upon and there's always been this oh he's he's Jurgen Klopp's best mate he was best man at his wedding etc etc but you can only dine out on that for so long and for all that he did an outstanding job last season and in getting them there that goodwill only lasts so long because the, the pressure financially to actually try and maintain the, the equilibrium it's very tough and I don't think, but I don't think they get the pressure from the Huddersfield fans. I've got a couple of mates no, of Huddersfield no, 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 fans, no, no, and no. I mean they, they're, they're very aware of the position they're in, and obviously this is peak Huddersfield town fans, really, isn't it? I, I, I can't see them where where do they go beyond this apart from getting a cup cup run, or could could teams like that ever go on to be like Burnleys and stuff? Is Burnley the sort of the dream to follow? Well. I think Burnley's just a dream, isn't it? I mean, anybody who wakes up with Sean Dyche as their manager, uh, what, what else do you want in What do you want for Christmas, Tom? <laughs> uh, a 15-minute a um, beard trim in a, in a Sean Dyche style with, a, with a, um, a hot towel shave at the end of it. Great, please, if you could send me a voucher or take me around to um, Burnley Unboxing Day. Great. Listen, if you're driving, I'll be in the passenger seat swigging a, uh, a small... Um, a small uh, little hip flask of uh, something exotic just to uh, <laughs> keep out the cold, no problem. <laughs> and then lastly on Sunday, uh, Brighton against Chelsea. On the coast, Chelsea down there, be cold this time of year, won't we? Do you reckon uh, Chelsea midweek game, good mad. victory against City? Yeah, I mean, they, they made changes in Hungary midweek for the, for the two-all draw there. They'd already gone through, that's, that's irrelevant. Um, Chelsea under Sarri... I know they get a couple of dicky results, but they got some outstanding ones as well. And all of a sudden, off the back of that victory, uh, again, that positions them very neatly. Fourth place, uh, back above Arsenal, and only eight points off the top. I think they're looking at this thinking, it's only an hour down the road. We'll go down there and fill our boots. Chelsea win to nil. It's an early kickoff on uh, on Sunday. I can't see anything Which, of a... Again, that diminishes the atmosphere. I think if that's a 5.30 under the lights and the home fans can get a bit more revved up, it's a dimension changer. I think a sort of one of these rather stale earlier kickoffs, one thirty on a Sunday. Everyone's still wiping the sleep out of their eyes. It's too early to to uh, do anything other than wander in and have a cup of tea and watch Chelsea win to nil. I think I think they're tucked up in their beds at nine o'clock on Sunday night back in West London, thinking it's truth that was easy. <laughs> it could have the opposite opposite effect though. I mean, Chelsea have to Brighton not have to travel down earlier on Sunday morning. Look, I hear you, but. Brighton, for all that, their, their season is constructed around getting results like the one Tuesday before last at home to Crystal Palace, 3-1 victory, like the 2-1 away victory at Huddersfield, uh, like grinding out a point against Leicester. You know what I'm saying? They actually, it's those teams in and around sort of eight and below that will define their season. So I don't worry too much that they went to Burnley and that was coming. That defeat at Burnley, uh, you know, I know you're smiling, but really, their their season is defined by some excellent results they've had. 
when they've come up against the bigger teams, habitually they've not had quite enough. Just analyse those results and you see that they went to Liverpool, they lost 1-0. They played Spurs at home, they lost 2-1. They played City away, they lost 2-0. So what I'm saying is, when they come up against the so-called big boys, they scrap, they graft, they play very well, they don't quite get over the line, not even with a point. For that reason, I'm saying Chelsea away win, but I'm also saying a clean sheet, Chelsea win to nil, bit of extra value in there. How times have changed because you were talking about the big boys there and what was United's uh, results last time we played at Brighton. <laughs> well, <laughs> moving swiftly on. Okay, so you're confident of a Chelsea win. What were the prices there then? So, if you're betting on this one, on the uh, the 1x2 home draw away market, Brighton 6-1, to one, which I know we, we, we're not ending as we began by saying always back the outsider in a three-horse race, 5-1 to one or bigger. Uh, but for the reasons given, I'm going to swerve that one. Brighton 6-1, to one, if you're uh, thinking that the uh, the South Coast team can spring a surprise. 3-1 to one to draw. Um, Chelsea just, just, just shorter uh, than 1-2. to But, as I've said, Chelsea to win to nil is a dimension changer. Not just to win, but to win without conceding. Suddenly you're turning a 1-2 to two shot into an odds against shot. Here's the value. 5-4 to four with fans bet. Chelsea to go to Brighton, win the match, and not let in a goal. Five to four against. Yes, please. And then next up, obviously, the horse racing. We've got a fantastic title. Caspian Caviar Gold Cup at Cheltenham. I don't know much about that, Tom, but I've got a feeling you do. 1.55, Saturday afternoon. Yeah, the feature race at Jump Racing Headquarters in Cheltenham. Field of 15. Uh, currently, as we're talking on Friday, good ground. That can change. There is a big band of rain scheduled to sweep into Cheltenham. Somewhere around... Maybe midday, one o'clock uh, on Saturday afternoon. So really, it'll be fascinating to see if that comes in sufficient volume, quantity, uh, to change the going, because that would change the complexion of this race. Um, so I think the thing to do, actually, is to try and locate a horse who, were that to arrive, and if the ground was to go soft, try and find something that's able to absorb all of that. Um, the equivalent race was run uh, in the middle of November, the November Gold Cup, this being the sort of the sequel, if you like, uh, the December Gold Cup. Bit of a game changer, not just the potential going change. Uh, also, uh, Cheltenham's got two tracks, aficionados will know. Uh, the November race is run on the old track. Uh, this one is run on fresh ground on the new track. So basically they swap them over so that they're always racing on the best ground. So that whilst one regenerates, the other one is being uh. used as a more sort of virgin surface, if you like. Um, so this one's a bit more of a demand on stamina. Um, the equivalent race was drama-packed. Loads of fallers, loads of incidents in November. Loads of horses uh, were being sort of skittled out of the race at crucial stages where it looked as if they were just developing into big threats. Um, the horse that won was Baron Alco. He's back for more. The handicappers had his say. Put him up an extra six pounds. Uh, the horse that was second is the brilliant Frodon. He's back for more, but so tough for him to try and win these kind of races because because of his quality, basically. He's always having to concede weight to other horses that if it was at level weight, he'd beat them. In a handicap where he has to concede weight sure. to level the playing field, as we talked about before, makes it tougher for him. So they're numbers one and two on the card. Frodon's top weight. Then you've got Baron Alco coming back for more. Look out for him because he loves it here at Cheltenham. Back in 2017, he was second in one of the handicaps at the festival. Um, he came out this season and put in a big effort at Chepstow in October. Then he came here in November. Fantastic effort because Jamie Moore, uh, who's the son of the trainer Gary Moore, 
who the family look after this Baron Alco, immediately took him to the front. So behind him, little did he know, there was all this mayhem going on. But of course, if you're at the front, you're not going to encounter any of that. The only danger is the fences in front of you. Never mind all the bits and pieces that are happening in behind. Um, there's another story here as well, because number three is Rather Be for Nicky Henderson and Jerry McGrath. He's one of those hard luck stories from the November race. And in fact, as the race was beginning to develop, he was coming there with a real strong challenge, four fences from home, and he came down. He was brought down by another horse falling, so who knows what would have been there. The market, the betting, believes that actually he probably would have gone on to win that race and really have put his name up in lights. As it was, we'll never know. But the betting now has him as favourite, rather ah. be, rather than the winner last time. Uh, Baron Alco is probably going to be second favourite, Frodon probably something like third or fourth favourite. So I think this is intriguing because it's not just about those horses at the top of the, the field. Number 15 of 15 is last year's winner, Guitar Pete, um, who hasn't been good enough to win a race since, and yet he's had some real tough tasks. So he was third in the November race. So you've got the one, two, three. You've got the hard luck stories. Then you've got some horses who've run great races here in the past, like Foxtail Hill, local stable, Nigel Twist and Davis. Uh, he's also got Splash of Ginge, who's, who's uh, won one of these races previously. Uh, you've got one for one of the most deadly trainers in the country, Dr. Richard Newland, who runs Catamaran du Soy, who might not be quite good enough, but he's a real interesting contender. And then you've got another one, Philip Hobbs we've talked about previously, trainer with a great strike rate this season. And his horse will be ridden by the champion jockey Richard Johnson. He's got Warsound, who last season was always the bridesmaid. Second, second, second. And yet first time out this season at Aintree, bang, six-length winner. So maybe he's turned a corner. So wide open race. My tactic is this, Scotty. I'm going to back the horse who loves these races, we know, because he won the November equivalent, Baron Alco. For the Moors, Gary and Jamie, we know he's going to be at the front. We know he's going to avoid any potential problems. If he produces a similar display, he'll be right there. It's just if he can last up the hill with the slightly more stamina-sapping influence of the new course rather than the old one. Uh, so him at something like five or six to one is number two, Baron Alco. But I'm also going to give you one for 50 pence or a pound each way. And again, he's a horse who's been, instead of Baron Alco, who perennially is pleasing people, there's a horse here, number 13, maybe lucky number 13, Roman de Senam. Easy name to remember. Paul Nichols, the trainer, operating at a strike rate north of 25% in the last two weeks, having loads of winners, absolutely mountains of them. He's teaming up with a brilliant young jockey, Sean Bowen. Because he's number 13, he's quite a long way down the handicap. And whereas Frodon's got to carry nearly 12 stone, number 13, Roman de Senam, carries exactly 10 stone. So imagine if those two are charging up the slope to the finish at Cheltenham. One horse is weighed down by a burden of 12 stone. Roman de Senam's only got 10. That's because, based on current form, he's not as good as, uh, as the top sure, one. Yeah, yeah. However, weight stops trains. And Roman de Senam has one of these in him. He's threatened and hinted and always just flirted with the idea of being good enough to win one of these. So at something like maybe 16, 20, even 25 to 1. If you wanted one who's a bit of a dark horse, who could just come out the pack and he might only be good enough to finish third, say. Each way back. you get a lovely each way payout there. So Roman de Senam each way, 
listen, that's one for a bit of fun. Probably not good enough, but maybe one who's a, a lively each way uh, player if we get a bit of uh, turbulence in the race a la November. Uh, but the main selection for the repeat, uh, he did it in November. He's up six pounds, but the Moors are really a top, top outfit. Trust them to have him good and ready on the big day. Number two, Baron Alco. Fancy the Roman Di Senno. Uh, just highlight the handicap and how that works for me in terms of sure. who, who, so, who, who actually picks. So uh, within the sport, within the sport of horse racing, you have a figure called the handicapper. So he's the assessor. He's the referee. So he watches all the races and you have, you have essentially a conditions race and a handicap race. The very best horses, the elite horses, they've proven that they're above handicaps. So they go into a grade where they all run with exactly the same weight. So it's literally a level playing field. But because the most exciting racing and, and, the, and the majority of horses in the equine population aren't quite at that level, they have what's called handicaps. So it's just like the handicap in golf. It's sure. bringing everyone together. So some people play off 10, some people pay off par. So the professional golfer with the seemingly the best form is number one, Frodon. The guy who's still got a bit of work to do on his game is Roman de Senam. So for that reason, if you're not a golfer, we'll talk, talk about it in horse racing terms, very simply, it's tr the idea being they all start off in the same place. The handicap should, and clearly it doesn't work out like this because some run out of puff, some don't like the ground, some maybe make a mistake at a fence, etc. Some have the wrong tactics executed by the jockey. Uh, but the idea being they should start and finish in the same place, making it exciting and competitive both sure. to watch and should you choose to, to have a bet on. So it's based upon their form, as we've touched upon previously, if you've listened to these podcasts the odd time, um, they get allocated a number, which is their rating. It's their handicap rating. So the better they do, the more the number goes up. If they have a few disappointing goes where maybe they're struggling for form, maybe they've got a bit of ill health, maybe they don't like the ground, maybe the stable's not out of form, maybe the tactics are wrong, the handicap number allotted to that horse goes down. And theoretically, the lower your handicap number, the easier it should be to win a race. But so, of course, you want a horse who's what they call well-handicapped, i.e., maybe he's a bit better than the number he's been given. Sure. In that instance, that's a great horse to bet on. But trying to second-guess which horse is well-handicapped and which horse is badly handicapped. I mean, Frodon, for example, he's a bit of a peculiarity to be running in a handicap race because he's rated 164. And that means that some of the horses who would be looking at this race thinking, gosh, I'm rated 120, he frightens them off because they have a, a maximum variable in the handicap of usually 20, 26 pounds. Right, okay. So it goes from 11 stone 12 down to, down to uh, 10 stone. So take his number of 164 minus 26, that's 148. So all of a sudden, I beg your pardon, 138. So all of a sudden, when you look at that, if you've got a horse who's rated less than 138, suddenly this Caspian Caviar Gold Cup, sorry for the science, but... No, that's cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you've got a horse who's rated less than 138, suddenly you're going to have to race off a minimum of 138 because if the minimum weight you can carry in that race is 10 stone, well, if you're rated 128, you're giving away 10 pounds at the right. start because you've got to run off 138. His high rating sets the bar at 11 stone 12, work all the way down to 138. That's the foot of the handicap. So you can still try and run if you're off 128, but basically you're, you're giving away a huge advantage so those guys would go, no, not for us. We're sitting this one out. This guy's just wrecked it for us. He's, he's, he's too good. <laughs> so, but of course, for Frodon, his problem is 
the Roman Decenams of this world, the Foxtail Hills of this world, as we work through Saturday's race, the 155 at Cheltenham. When you go through these, Guitar Pete, last year's winner, 10 stone. Foxtail Hill, course and distance winner, 10 stone. Roman Decenam, 25 to one shot, 10 stone. Castet, another Gary Moorhorse, just like Baron Elko. He's got uh, a 10 stone. Splash of Ginge, who's won one of these before, 10 stone, one pound. So if you're Frodon and you've backed him and you're thinking, please, please hang on here. And he is a classy operator who maybe is good enough, even with that weight concession. But the thing is, Scotty, if he jumps the last and he's just a tiny bit in front and you see all these guys snapping away at his ankles and you think, oh, Struth, they're receiving nearly two stone from him and they go flying by him. It's Maybe not because they're necessarily a better horse, truly deep down. It's because the handicapper has given them such a great opportunity that they've capitalised. Wow, that's some science I had no idea about. Look out for that race at Cheltenham <laughs> on if, Saturday. If you, I should just say that if you're uh, probably an insomniac or if you're kind of lying in bed <laughs> wide awake, just stick that on for five minutes. And I say you will sleep better than any advert will ever boast from a bed warehouse. I don't know about that, Tom. We've had the insight onto the weather, the ground and the horses and, of, of course, the football. Tom Lee, a pleasure as always. Anything to add? Gracias, hombre. Uh, roll on a few draws in the Premier League this weekend. Uh, roll on Roman de Senam, nicking a place in the Caspian Caviar Gold Cup. Uh, we'll have made so much money back in these tips. We'll be eating caviar on next week's show. <laughs> See you then. Thanks.